This is exactly right. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. It's 1943 in the Kingdom of Bulgaria. As the Second World War rages, King Boris dies suddenly and every nation is a suspect. The Butterfly King premieres March the 21st on Exactly Right. It's a cruel tale of a doomed royal dynasty. Somewhere, the truth is out there. Listen to The Butterfly King on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. We're talking SVU. We're talking crimes. And then we have celeb guests. It's really a jam-packed podcast. Um, <laughs> and I, listen, I have a lot to say. Yeah, we have a lot of like um, uh, random things to talk about this morning, this, uh, this, today. Uh, like, So for me, I would like to say I have hung out with members of the band Lamb of God two times in one week now. (laughs) And I got to go to the Rainbow Room, which is like a metal rock and roll bar with people that are in a popular metal band and sit in like a booth where Guns of Roses sat. So I felt excited. It was thrilling. Thank you, Frank Castillo, for knowing the drummer. I would love somebody to to go to our Apple podcast reviews and leave a review. Like, they won't stop name dropping. Lamb of God, like, that you hung out (laughs) with a metal band. (laughs) I love this name drop because I don't know who this is. When she told me, I was like, oh, neat, are they a band? Like, I was a full mom. And then I asked Jared and my husband, and he was like, oh, awesome. Like, he loves metal and they're they're Well, because my friend Frank is such a stoner and is in the weed, like, I assumed they were weed guys, um, but one does have a long gray beard and long gray hair. So I should have put it together that maybe metal <laughs> was in his life. Um, but then I ended my evening terribly with a country fried steak in the middle of the night. So. <laughs> um, what makes a steak country fried? Is it like breaded? It's breaded and fried, baby. Oh, okay. Served with hash browns, pancakes, and eggs. Shit. <laughs> And we all got it. I kind of like when you go to a restaurant, everyone gets the same thing. Like, that's that's what we all Group mind. Group mind. Yeah. But anyway, so very Hollywood. And it's tough because I'm trying to work on myself in lots of different avenues. And it's like, I want to be more social, but then treat my body better. And it's like, you can't do both. Yeah. If you're someone who can treat your body well and be social, that's not the fun I want to have. I'm not bowling sober. For sure. I mean, you want to have fun, but then it's also really hard to be healthy or, I don't know, have children. Everything is um, <laughs> difficult. Um, 
I, but I was jealous when I heard about your fun night out. I never get to go out. Uh, if I'm up at 4 a.m., it's because I'm feeding someone a bottle. So it's exciting that you get to rock and roll. Rock and roll is exactly. I was actually going to go back because I had some yogurts delivered. Um, I had like groceries at the house. So they were all going to go out. And I was like, I think I'm going to ha- head home. And my friend looked at me and went, we're going we're going out with <laughs> Lamb of God. And I'm like, you're right. What am I? I'm going to go home to get my groceries and salad kits. Like, no, I'm going. So what happened? Were the groceries sitting there when you got home? Yeah, of course. One yogurt is missing, but I'm just going to get a refund. I don't think anyone took the yogurt, but I was excited to have a maple yogurt. Yeah. Maple is an underused flavor that I It was also quite chilly out yesterday. So I'm sure your food stayed nice and fresh. Oh, yeah. I wasn't worried. And uh, someone was trying to stress me out. And they're like, what about raccoons? I'm like, I'm not stressed about it. And I don't know why you're trying to make me I don't really think we it. have the same kind of raccoon issue in LA. Because sometimes, like, my we'll put our trash out on our patio. And I'm like, Jared, I'm worried about raccoons. And he'll leave it there all night. And we don't have raccoon bites or anything. So I'm not, I don't think that's a thing. I just watched a video on my phone of a person's window in their house. And, like, three raccoons trying to get in. Like, pawing at the window. Like, wanting into the apartment. Well, those raccoons are... I love a raccoon. In theory. They're little hands. I think it's Oh, yeah, they look like little burglars, but, like, aren't they, uh, like, vicious? Yeah, but they prank cats. Like, they're just... They're garbage. People raise them as pets. Didn't Kirstie Alley... We had to read Kirstie Alley's book for a podcast that we will... uh, we will disclose to you at a future time. But like, uh, she like had pet raccoons, I think. If you're raising raccoons, you have problems. And I don't care if you're a raccoon, a razor out there, you're a weirdo. You have to admit you're weird. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to really quickly bring something up today on the podcast because a couple of listeners have contacted us and this is something that we're pretty into that we like to call out when there's women on death row uh, unnecessarily or unfairly. Um, and there is a, I just want to bring attention to this case that's happening right now. This woman is named Melissa Lucio and, uh, we're going to post it on our stories, but, um, essentially this woman has like, as so many women do a horrible history of abuse and sexual assault and violence in her life. And she had a two-year-old daughter who died in an accident, falling down a flight of stairs. And then she, was interrogated by police for hours and hours and hours on end until she just said, I guess I did it. And now she's on fucking death row. And she had nothing to do with her her daughter's death. And it's really fucking unfair. And I'm really hoping that they can, because I think she said- Where is this? This is in Texas. And she's set to be executed at the end of April. So like many judges have said that this trial was unfair. So I'm really hoping that they're going to be able to commute her sentence, but it is Texas. So who fucking knows? Um, but anyway, we're going to put a link to this on Instagram, but I just wanted everyone to go and like sign the petitions, go to Innocence Project, like just Google her name, Melissa, L-U-C-I-O. We'll put the petition on our thing. I just wanted to bring some light to that because we we do talk about that all the time. So what happened? Yeah, I want, I definitely have to catch up on that because I don't know. And that makes me really upset. Yeah, it's a, it's a really tough story. And I'm sorry to go right from your fun night with Lamb of God into that. But such is the intro to this podcast. Um, also, I wanted to shout out that I've talked about You're Wrong About before, the podcast that I like. And they just did an interview this week, or, or they're one of their most recent episodes is about junk science. And a lot of it has to do, they mention SVU, like a lot of it has is all about the junk science around crime and like 
Blood spatter is mostly junk science. Like fingerprint evidence is like kind of not proven. Like there's all this interesting stuff. So I'm not even done with the episode. I just wanted to shout it out and say if people are interested, it's kind Wait, of... Wait, but are these things admissible in court or not? Or is it just to help solve the crimes for d- detectives? Or does this blood splatter or sp- spatter... Spatter. <laughs> Does the yeah we we read the messages uh, <laughs> blood spatter like so are people say using it in court or not basically what do you mean it's, it's like what they're talking well you got to listen to the whole episode but what I she's talking wait. about is like there's definitely a lot of the times this is like a certification course that someone can take to become quote unquote an expert in that but like it's like it's not always yes a, an expert can walk onto a, a crime scene and say okay. Judging by the pool of blood here, it probably this person was attacked from behind. It's just not always completely accurate. And crazy something that that they talk about is breathalyzers are incredibly inaccurate. And people are getting fucking DUIs left and right across this whole country. It's a whole industry of DUIs, like DUI lawyers, breathalyzer, like this whole thing. And it's like, there can be, I think there's something like a 40% inaccuracy rate in breathalyzers. And... That's just like the science that we've accepted and it's not accurate. So it's a really, really cool um, episode that I think people need to listen to. I was always taught you never blow. Yeah, I wouldn't blow if I got pulled over. Absolutely not. You give them nothing. Yeah. Um, If we learned anything, that's not junk science. You give them nothing. Um, And then we obviously have to talk about the most SVU crime that's ever happened in 2022. Oh my God. Um, I don't even know if SVU would... Do, would go this far, but go on. <laughs> um, a teacher and her weird boyfriend, cop husband, uh, put jizz sperm in some cupcakes and gave them to the children, and they are in jail. But the New York Post was salacious, and it said that she got 41 years for feeding the cum cupcakes, which I thought was excessive. Um, but I was then told by better sources, Kara, my friend Steve last <laughs> night, Josh, uh, that they were found with a bunch of child sex abuse images and them like f- uh, assaulting teens together. So, yeah, it's Barbie really... Ken killer style. Yeah. But how did they find out about the sperm cakes? Like, that's who found what I out? don't understand. Like, who told on them? Did they brag about it? Did, did a kid know it was jizz? That's bad, too. I wonder if she gave that information to the cops for leniency. Like if she was like, hey, he made me do this or whatever. And then that story got out because it's so fucking psycho and salacious. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Louise admits, she admitted doing it. Why is it always the post? Every article that's, I don't think every source wants to cover it. (laughs) Yeah. If you're talking about jizz cakes, you're talking about the New York Post. I mean, like that's who's talking about it. You know, like that's where you're going to get your number one source in jizz news. And she, I think, is going to turn on him. And, like, the Post was saying she's going to prove what a monster he is. So we'll see what kind of abuse this cop is about. But... Ugh. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because it's like, yeah, she could be abused. Like, she could be a victim herself, but, like... But, and then I was talking to someone. I don't know. It could have been you. I I don't know where who I was talking to, but they're like, the sick part, too, is... She just sat there watching the kids eat the sperm cakes. Like, she liked that. Yeah, like, because the the husband probably wasn't there for that. So even if he forced her to bring in cum-laced cupcakes, she could have thrown them away, you know? Was he like, send me video of them eating it? Like, it's like weird. Yeah, 
Yeah, she pled guilty. She admitted to her crimes and pled guilty. Waived any right to appeal. Wow. Yeah. Oh, they filmed a juvenile bathing. I don't know. 41 years is just so much. We, I, But it, it's also deserved. Yeah, because she's I don't like know 36. So she would be like 77 coming out of jail. It is effect, it's like not a life sentence, but it's not. But maybe she would get time off for good behavior. It's like, is there no, is, is there, there is probably possibility of parole, right? I don't know. But she also like, she is a danger to society. And yeah. Yeah. You know, can you trust her? She's, she's feeding sperm to the children. That is so fucking gross. This is going to be an SVU. There's no way they can't do this. Oh, my Lamb of God voice. It's going. Do you guys hear the cracks? <laughs> <laughs> to um, stay out in LA till 4 a.m. is like pretty great. That is fun because LA is an earlier town. It's not like Chicago or New York, you know? Wait, I wanted to also bring up, this is so funny, but like, I thought that you might appreciate this because of your cookie jar obsession. Yes. So a, a listener wrote into us and said that they, for wedding gifts, will give something called a nookie jar. And they, it's a cookie jar, but you're supposed to put money in it every time you fuck, I guess. And that your friends give it to you and they start it out with some money in it. And then, I don't know, like... Maybe you use it to buy something cool at the end. Anyway, I just thought you might think that the nookie jar was something. I do think that's cool. I do think <laughs> that's cool. Um, yeah, I love any sort of fun money saving tricks. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking for funds, everyone. Yeah, I wonder, yeah, what motivates what. Yeah. And then maybe you like look in it at the end of the year, and you're like, we should have more money in here. Let's get going. You know, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Um and Obviously, we we also are so thrilled with everybody's response to our tour announcement. I'm so excited that so many of you have already bought tickets for Tempe and Denver and Portland and Seattle and all of our California cities. Please keep buying them. Everyone that's telling us to come to their city, we definitely want to come to your city. We have to like do well at these cities so that we can move on to other cities. So if you know people that live in these cities, please tell them to come and check us out. Business is hard, like stringing together venues after yeah. COVID. It's just like, it's kind of a bonk. Everything is bonkers. Everything yeah, it's is also bonkers. like, it is a full bottleneck of like, nobody's performed in two years. And now everybody's going out on the road, like podcasts, comedians, fucking magicians. You know what I mean? Like everyone's going out on the road. So it's like, we're all kind of- Joe Judice. Yeah, Joe, yeah. Fucking Joe Gorga. Like all these yeah. people are doing- uh stand up or doing, you know, some kind of live performance. So we obviously want to come to, you know, New York, Chicago, all these places you guys are telling us about. We want to come. So make our West Coast tour a success. Um, but one thing I wanted to point out was somebody that was buying tickets for the Portland show noticed that on the map of the theater, the Aladdin, where we're playing in Portland, there's something in the top corner called a cry room. <laughs> And we posted it on our Instagram because we were like, oh, this is like funny, like a cry room. And then we started getting all these messages from people that are like, my church has that. My church has that. Like Mormons, Catholics, all different people wrote us and said, our church has these cry rooms. I've never heard of this. I don't know, Jews in synagogue, we did not have a cry room. And like, it's to take your kid. It's to take a kid that's acting up. And some of them said that even in the cry room, there'll be like a veed of the ceremony, of the um, mass so that the parents can still like participate in church even when their kid is acting Yeah, God up. forbid you miss yeah, a little bit. Yeah, wouldn't want to miss a hymn. Um, so I just thought that was 
wild that that's a thing that exists. I've never heard of it. Obviously, we're two Jews, and I don't think that there are cry rooms in a synagogue, so... No. No, just coat rooms for all the bar mitzvahs. Um, I guess you could throw your kid into one of those. Um, I might have an adult bar mitzvah. Oh, my God. That's a great just idea. Just throwing it out there. That's a great fucking idea. But we have to dress like we would have dressed when we were 13 going to your bar mitzvah. Like, I want to wear, like, a fucking off-the-shoulder dress that, like, poofs out. Like, the shit I used to wear to bar mitzvahs. It was Probably. so high pressure when I was in middle school and going to bar, bar mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs. If you wore the same dress, I remember I wore the same dress to one and somebody was like, didn't you wear that to Daniel's? And I was like, yeah. Like, and then I was like, mom, I gotta get, I gotta get new dresses. Like, I can't wear the same dress twice. Because you would get like ridiculed. Yeah, peer pressure is so annoying. Yeah. Because Pen15 covered it so well with the gift and the necklace and the bat mitzvah. They really are able to take these em like emotions from junior high and make them so cringy and good to watch. They, they like get into our hearts. I haven't watched the last eight episodes that just came out a few months ago because I'm truly like too sad that it will be over. Well, hopefully this won't give you too much away, but one episode, Maya realizes that she's like, wait, are my poor? <laughs> and suddenly she starts realizing that she might be poor and like can't afford to get these gifts, but the girl doesn't even care. But I wish in that moment you had the knowledge to be like, yeah, I did. Yeah. And, you know, like it's, I, there's all these little comebacks where if I wish you could go back in time and oh, have these of course. With people, like, I wish know. I could have been like, yeah, I wore it once three weeks ago. Who cares? Like, I wish, you know, but like, yes. obviously you're, you melt into a puddle of embarrassment because you're, you need your mom to take you to Macy's to get another fucking floral dress. <laughs> oh, man. Though I would love for you to have an adult bat mitzvah. That would be so fucking fun. Yeah, I think I'm going to do it one day. You get dancers. Like, you know how Camille Grammer used to be, like, one of the MTV dancers? I would go to bat, um, bat mitzvahs that had the MTV dancers, like, on the dance floor to rile people up, like hype men. Ugh, crazy. I knew a hype man. Oh, I mean, Renee Gauthier was famously a, ba a bar mitzvah uh, a hype, hype person. Renee Gauthier famously has one of the best bodies I've ever seen in my life. Is that <laughs> harassment? Oh, <laughs> I hope she's listening. Nay, nay. <laughs> um, okay. I think that was all I had on my list to talk about. But yeah, guys, go to that'smesseduplive.com and um, get tickets for the tour. We're going to obviously just keep pushing it for the next few weeks. So sorry, get used to it. Um, is there anything else, Lisa, that you wanted to touch on? No, I'm hanging on by a thread, counting every second till I can lay down again. Okay. But <laughs> but we have an awesome episode for you guys. So oh, do, of course. stick right around. This episode is Bedtime, Season 11, Episode 18. If you've already done your homework, you know this is a Neil Bear classic from uh, 2010. So let's dive into it. We open on a guy on the phone going, huh, can't wait to see you too, in the guiltiest way possible. Uh, and this man then throws clothes at his girlfriend who's standing there in her bra. And he's like, my wife, she's two minutes away. And it's like, dude, you need to like take 10 deep breaths because you're already busted just from the way you were just talking on the phone to your wife. And yeah, the side like, like, what do you say that you were doing? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm working out and I just, I can't wait to see you. Like, it's so weird. And the side chick is like, you said she was at work and he goes, bitch like her, she probably got fired. And it's like, okay, bro, but you're like fully cheating on your wife in your own home in the middle of the day. So who's the real bitch here? 
And so he tells his side chick to like go out the window down the fire escape and it's snowing. She's wearing like Ugg sweatpants and some big coat sweater and a bra. So her shirt is definitely still in the apartment. And that's just a detail I noticed. Um, And her name is Angie. And Angie's like, why can't we just use this as an opportunity to come clean about us? Like, this would be great. Let's just let her come home and find me in my bra and we'll just talk it out. Like, it's hilarious. And then this man is, I mean, obviously a huge coward and is like, not now, just go, go, go. Shoes her away down the fire escape. And then we hear Angie go, she's dead. And Loverboy's like, okay, well, don't make threats about death. And he's like, no, her. And then the camera cuts to Angie's POV and we see a woman face down on a mattress, hands tied behind her back, lying in a pool of blood with an X carved into her cheek. Gruesome. Gruesome. Yeah, I don't like Scarface things. I think that's what I've been learning in the past few episodes in Yellow. Yeah, I don't. I don't need to see a crime blood face. Yeah, moment. yeah, yeah. But thank yeah. you, SVU, for You're teaching like, me that. You're like, I'll take the regular, just like, you know, choked out purple face that they show people, you know? Yeah, well, I also hated when they had the little baby under, a, like, the morgue sheet. And I was like, I don't like the even the hint of a little baby on a slab. That, that yeah. I didn't love that either. Yeah, not great. I not didn't great. love the injection into the thumb. There are just some moments that are too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... So we cut to Stabler. He's at the crime scene. The woman that's lying uh, face down on the bed is named Jane Whitmore. She's 30 years old. There's no sign of forced entry. So uh, Liv is like, she probably knew the guy. Olivia looks gorgeous here. Like just the first shot of her. I'm like, wow, she looks so beautiful. Shoulder length, hair, natural, subtle highlight. I'm loving it. Um... And our girl Melinda Warner's there, and she tells them that the guy probably carved the ex postmortem. There's no fibers, no fluids, and the perp left nothing behind. So it's like a little bit slow going immediately. Stabler obviously loves to go through people's papers and effects, and he's like, very misty. Maloney's a misty. Yeah. (laughs) Check the trash. Check the trash. Always check the trash. Um, and he guesses immediately that she's I an wonder, investigative... Sorry to interrupt you, but I do wonder when my Yellow Jackets fe- fever will calm down. I like... It's, well, I think we'll be just... able to track it on this podcast. <laughs> I think okay. that probably our viewers will be like, hey, Lisa didn't mention Yellow Jackets this week. And we'll be like, ah, the fever has cooled. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so Stabler's going through her papers and he guesses that she's an investigative journalist. And because he sees that she was recently paid... Uh, from Under Scrutiny Magazine, which I just think is a hilarious name for a magazine. Um, And her laptop is missing, so maybe the perp wanted to kill her story too, Stabler wonders. And then credits. So now we're at Under Scrutiny Mag, and Jane's editor is bummed to hear about her death and says that she was the best freelancer she ever had. She loved dangerous assignments. She loved going undercover. She infiltrated a sex trafficking ring. She dated a heroin dealer and almost got hooked on it because she had to shoot up for the story. And she said that the last story she was working on was like a Bernie Madoff type guy and Jane was going to take him down. This guy like ripped off all these people and then ended up getting eight months in jail and then kind of basically skated. So not the same as Bernie Madoff who, you know, died in in custody. But um, they go visit this man and he is now a running a pet funeral parlor. So he's moved away from his like financial crimes and is a pet funeral parlor director. Which makes them so mad and I don't get why. 
I, they're really like, they what the fuck is it. this? Well, imagine, I don't know. It's like, imagine Bernie Madoff if he was like, hey, check out my Etsy store or something like that. Like he ripped off so many people. He ruined so many people's lives. If he got off and was just like, here's my new business. I think everybody just hates him. That's yeah, the deal. as long as it's him. Because it's like, okay, well, you want him on the street. Like he's going to get another job. Right. And I don't. Maybe it doesn't matter what business he had, they would hate, but they just, this pet cemeteries drove them in. They yeah, know. yeah. Stabler's like, what do you just sell people a bunch of fake ashes in an overpriced urn? Like, Stabler's assassing it up big time. But when they bring up Jane to this guy, he's like, that bitch threw herself at me. And when she found out I had gone legit, she dumped me. So I guess maybe this man has turned over a new leaf, but... Um, he said the last time he talked to Jane, she wanted the name of the sober living house that he had gone to after prison. And he tells the cops that it's called Harmony Home and that it's a pit. The women turn tricks. The men use it as a crack den, quote unquote. And uh, so now they're like, okay, let's go sniff around at Harmony Home. So they're there and the guy running it is like, a journalist, I thought she was a base head. And it's pretty funny uh, that like, obviously, do you think you'd be able to spot a journalist? And then... um. Maloney's like, well, I thought this place was supposed to help people. Looks like we both got duped. So uh, they're sassing this man a little bit, and it's pretty funny. He says Jane lived at that house for like 10 days, and then uh, that she had a little cupboard. He's like, she had a cupboard full of food, but I never saw her eat. So they break into her little cupboard, and she has some nice-ass groceries, like organic, imported pasta. You know, Benson knows the brands. <laughs> and um, she goes, this girl has, gets better groceries than me. And it's like, better than you, Benson? When is she even home? There's no way she even has groceries. When is Benson home? I know. I know, Benson. It's like, you you eat takeout. Come on. She's getting yeah. an egg and cheese every morning. I mean, yeah. But she... D I think she's going to the bodega before work. I do. Yeah. For like a banana. Um, <laughs> okay. So then a girl with really gross hair and skin and teeth walks in and is scooped, like... A scooped bagel. Yeah. And this girl is like, hey, that stuff don't belong to you. And then Stabler flashes her a badge and she's like, yeah, I've seen fake badges before. Like, she's really sassing them hard. I keep saying sassing, but she's, yeah, she's very tweaky and, you know, we can tell why she's in this house. And she says, Jane shares her food with me and tells them that her name is Francine. And they're like, well, guess what, honey? Food's all yours now. And she's like, twitchily telling them like she's like I took Jane under my wing like she said she was like us but I could tell she was green and I told her who to talk to I told her how to protect her shit like whatever so she says Jane didn't talk to anyone except maybe the grabby jerk in welfare you want your benefits you gotta let that guy stick his tongue down your throat which is so nasty and then the last time she saw Jane she was on her way to talk to that dude so now we're at the precinct and we're getting the rundown on this dude, Ned Bogdan, played by William Atherton, who is a character actor with like 89 credits. This is his only SVU, weirdly, but he's been in Original Recipe. This dude's been on Murder, She Wrote. Like he's been in all kinds of shit. Anyway, R Ned Bogdan is 54, My lucky single. Number. Oh, he's his lucky number 54. He's single and lives in Queens with his mother. Not lucky. And Liv is like, that's suspicious right there. And I just like love her judging this man so hard for still living with well, his mom. Well, because things were different back then. Like now living with your parents is kind of whatever because of the pandemic and crash and, you know, just yeah. the environment. I don't know. But back in the day, you couldn't live with your parents. Yeah. And at 54, that's, that's real late in the game. Unless they're um, living with you. Yeah. They're living with you. You're caring for them. Yeah. 
Um, so this guy, they look him up and he's just got like no complaints in a 30 year career, which Benson is immediately like, what? Like nobody has no complaints. You know, she's like, I've got complaints. And there's just tons of accolades in his file. Like he's won like, you know, awards from the mayor and shit. And so it's weird. And Cragen's like, I don't know, guys, are we going to like put this all on the word of a junkie? Like if we take a swing and a miss at this guy, it's going to fuck us. And Liv's like so confident. She goes, so we won't miss. Boom. Uh, then we cut to the Welfare Benefits Bureau where we're up close on Benson's Converse high, high tops. And then we pan up. We see some ripped jeans. She's in a tank top and a hoodie. And we know immediately know, okay, Benson is acting now. She's doing her undercover I thing. I think this is also her best undercover work. Of This This is the most convincing. You know, it wasn't like, hi, daddy. Like, this yeah, one yeah. was good. <laughs> It is convincing, but to me, her teeth give it away immediately. She has perfect teeth. And I'm just yeah. like, I don't know. Are you a druggie? Like, I mean, she's basically saying her boyfriend was a druggie and that, like, he kicked her out of the house and that, like, she has no money to buy food. She's fucked. And, like, you know, the guy should have just clocked that this was a cop because she has perfect teeth. But anyway, he's like, good thing you yeah, found me. Yeah, but with someone that hot and he's a molester, like, he, I think you're... They didn't grease up her hair even. But everything goes out the window. You're just like, oh, I get to molest Benson. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't think uh, a man that's horny is about to notice the little things. Yes, but at the same time, predators also know who to groom and stuff. So, you know, I don't know. But yeah, she is. She's giving us some good um, acting. So... Well, I'll let it slide. But he's like, good thing you found me. I'm your knight in shining armor. I'm going to help you. No problem. So he gives Liv a form to f- uh, fill out. And then he immediately goes to his door and starts to shut the blinds. So if this man had Matt Lauer's money, he would have had that automatic door lock thing. But instead, he has to go and manually shut his blinds. Um, Liv is acting overwhelmed by the paperwork. She's like, I don't know. What does this mean? Last, last employer? I don't know. Uh. And so he's like leaning over her. And he's just like, do everything I say. And I guarantee you're going to get your check. And he's like really grossly holding her shoulder, saying that's a good girl. It's really nasty. Like they did do good casting here because this guy seems like his breath would smell and like it's bad. And she's like, oh, my last job. And she starts writing special victims unit. And then right as she says unit, this guy like honks her boob. And so she <laughs> she jumps up, grabs him, like swim, swings him around and has him over the desk in like two seconds. And she's like, oh, did I forgot to mention that? And she's like cuffing him. And he goes, you're a cop. And Liv goes, and you're a creep. And like then, you know, that's the end of Act One, and I was dying for that. So now they're in interrogation with Ned Bogdan, and they're grilling him. And he's like, I help these women. I'm their savior. Of course they're going to come on to me, and I've turned down every advance. And Liv's like, mm, okay, so how about you pawing my tits? And he's like, I can't help it if you moved the wrong way. But he's got like, he's got like a look on his eye like he's definitely guilty. And um, they're like you tried to do this to Jane. You found the wire. She was going to expose you, so you killed her. And he's like, wow, what a story. Like, he's pretty confident that he can talk his way out of this. And then Cragen and Huang are watching through the window, and Cragen has this light bulb moment where he's like, do you recognize this MO, like, of carving the X into the cheek? I don't know why it's just coming up to him now. They've had this dead body for a day or so. But he's like, yeah, like, this is a case I remember from 30 years ago. So as they're... um 
walking through Bogdan, go through everything that they think he did. We see Cragen looking over all of these cases with crime scene photos of female victims that look exactly like Jane, how she was found, like tied up, hands behind the back, on a bed, X cut into the cheek. And these victims are all from the 70s. And this guy was called the Bedtime Butcher. He killed five women, attacked them all in bed between 9 p.m. and midnight, carved them up. And Cragen's buddy worked on the case, but never found the guy. And he has since died of a heart attack. So now they're like, well, we're going to figure this out if this guy is is the, the bedtime butcher. So they go through all the old files and Liv is like, this guy killed from 1973 to 1976. Serial rapists don't just like stop cold turkey. And B.D. Wong, a.k.a. Huang, is like, well, some do. If they find another outlet to channel their rage and they're like, oh, he got hired at this welfare bureau in 76. So he didn't need to rape and kill anymore because he could just take advantage of all these vulnerable women at his work and never get in trouble. And with, like, murder signatures, I wonder, do they, like, fantasize and get horny for this specific thing? Does it come out natural? Like, how do patterns even occur? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, the ex is like, you are definitely want people to know that you're doing all of these, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. so anyway, there's no DNA for any of these five victims because there wasn't DNA in the 70s. So Huang's like, you got to find this guy, Ned Bogdan's connection to all these victims. And they all must have set him off in some way to like get his rage going. So they go through all the victims and this guy did have a connection to all of them. Um, one was a rich lady he had worked a catered party for and he'd be, she'd been like, you know, bossy to him. One was a rich parent at a school that he subbed at who tried to like get her daughter into Harvard through, you know, el like elbow rubbing or whatever. One got a postdoc that he applied for and another was a woman that would beat him at running in a road running club that they were in. So they're naming all these victims. What a bitch. Yeah, yeah. It's like just a man that feels inadequate that has to kill any woman that he thinks feels more powerful than him. So he says, okay, well, your whole case falls apart if one chain link in the chain falls apart. And I don't know this Emily Cutler, one of your victims that you brought up. I happen to know that when she died, when you told me she died, I was at a men's retreat in Cheyenne and I can prove it. And then in walks Melinda Warner with a great entrance. And she goes, can you prove you didn't leave dandruff all over Jane Whitmore's body? Boom goes the dynamite. Um, and Olivia's like, he's got his jacket sitting right there, probably covered in dandruff. And Olivia's like, we got you, motherfucker. And they take his jacket away. And he's like, well, I had sex with her, but I didn't kill her. I didn't kill any of those bitches. I was in Cheyenne. It's just pretty funny. So... And if you don't know, if you haven't watched this episode and you're just watching along with us, this is like one of the wildest, fully two different crimes in one. There's like, it's two full episodes almost in one episode. So at the lab, Melinda confirms that the dandruff DNA matches and it's all over the other victim's clothing as well. And he's had this problem of shedding and dandruff for a while. So the case is closed except for Emily Cutler, Warner thinks he was really maybe in Cheyenne because he had no dandruff on her. And that when she went through or when she investigated all the uh, evidence and stuff from the Emily Cutler murder, she said that Emily was a redhead and she found one blonde hair on her nightgown. So the hair was degraded, so there was no DNA, but done, done, it's a woman. So holy shit, now we're looking for a woman who murdered a Emily copycat. Cutler. A copycat. A copycat. So somebody who killed Emily Cutler and made it look exactly like the bedtime butcher. 
So boom, boom, boom. Ned Bogdan is the bedtime butcher. Case closed. He's going down for all these murders. But the Emily Cutler case is still open. And obviously this copycat, you know, used the bedtime butcher to cover her tracks. And Olivia's like, I never would have thought it was a woman. And Stabler's like, try missing an anniversary. And it's like, Elliot, Kathy's a stay-at-home mom with your 47 children. Take her out for your anniversary and don't forget, you dumbass. I know. I like how the women are too out of control and angry for something like that. But you're not the asshole for missing this big thing. Yeah. Write it on a calendar and it's the same time every year. Don't be a dumbass. Yeah. Um, so Emily Cutler's husband was a man named Cal Cutler, but was more commonly known as the Mattress Maestro. And they pop in a VHS of an old 70s commercial of this mattress salesman who's like dressed as a cowboy. He's got a cowgirl, like, like Fliberty Gibbet girl with him. She's slapping his ass. Or, I'm sorry. He's slapping her ass and she loves it. And it's very 70s. And apparently he was like a local celeb in the 70s. Stable remembers the commercials being on all the time. And to me, if I'm going to put this into my own world, this is like the Grand Prospect Hall in Brooklyn. Do you remember that commercial, Lisa? Yes. So yeah, that's like to me, I think if the Grand Prospect Hall people came up in a murder, I'd be like, I know these people, you know? I thought of like Eagle Man. I don't know that. Is that a Chicago thing? Look at those low, low rates. Yeah, it was like... (laughs) This stuffed, like, puppet bird and this eagle would come out and it was really... Yeah, local commercials are the best. Yeah, they're so funny. So they discovered that the year leading up to Emily Cutler's murder, the couple, uh, Emily and Cal Cutler, had a dozen or so domestic disputes. Cal was a big cheater. And it's funny how thematically the episode opened with a guy cheating, too. I don't know if the writers did that on purpose, but... Never noticed that. Yeah. Anyway, they like, let's go talk to Cal. They can't. Cal is dead. He died in a drunk driving accident and burned to death. Ouch. Burning is one of the scariest. Yeah. That's a bad way to... It's not a good... No. Burning is tough. Yeah. So they decide to track down the cop who responded to all these domestic disturbances. And her name is Susan Delzio. So they go knock, knock, knock it on Susan Delzio's door. And who answers but icon of the 70s, 80s, and beyond, Jacqueline Smith, one of the Charlie's Angels. You definitely have seen her face before. She clocks them as cops right away. She goes, oh, cops. And they're like, can we talk to you for a second? We want to ask you about um, the, the like some of your cases. And so she calls back into her apartment and goes, Pedro, I'm stepping out for a second. We don't see Pedro, but... He's a painter because she's telling Benson and Stabler that she took up sculpture after she retired from the police force and that she's converting one of her bedrooms into a studio. Benson's like, good to know there's life after the job. And it's like, sculpture? Okay, I hope you have, there's more than that for well, you, Well, no, it's it's big now. You know, Seth Rogen is ceramics. Sculpting? Ceramics and sculpting, vases, it's in. It's in. Yeah. I think the pandemic got people wheeling and dealing with clay. Yeah, and if you're old enough to buy your own, I mean, if you're rich enough to buy your own kiln, I guess that's good for you. Yeah, his life just seems the best. Him and his wife just like get high, chill out, make vases, pet their dog, write movies. (laughs) It's like the dream life. I'm obsessed. One day I will recognize them and only talk to Lauren and pretend I don't know who Seth Rogen is. (laughs) That's a great idea. No, I'm obsessed with everyone. So they're like, do you recall uh, this guy, Cal Cutler? And she's like, oh, the mattress maestro. How could I forget? It was the first celeb I ever met. I was right out of the academy. Um, His wife called us pretty much every weekend, which is about as often as Cutler changed girlfriends. And she said that women would show up at their house, like breaking flower pots, like, you know, putting uh, bombs in the 
mailbox, like all kinds of random stuff and saying that Emily didn't deserve Cal. And he would just basically have like, the Can police. you imagine though that like the hottest, coolest celeb in your t- is a mattress salesman? I think also this guy just seemed like he was like a horn dog and women were really drawn to him for some reason because it's like the mattress shit's not That's doing not it. appealing. Or yeah. local, like none of, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But when you look at him in the commercial, you can kind of see how in the 70s, he'd be like a hot guy, I guess, that like babes would be like, oh, I bet he's got mattress money. And there's probably a lot of like, come test out my mattress pickup lines or whatever. So anyway, so she says that Cal would say like, just get the women out of here and would never press charges against them because he knew that they were all of his, you know, side pieces. He wasn't probably trying to get them arrested. Um, Susan's like, I don't have any names. I ditched my memo books a long time ago. But she said every week it was a new one. Always blonde, always built, which I think she just means big tits. And the last call that she got wasn't to the house. It was to a studio where he was shooting a commercial and one of the blondes got through security and had slapped Emily Cutler. So, um... She said, oh, there was also an older woman there too, really bossy. It was Cal Cutler's agent and her name was Maud Monahan, an amazing name. We know Neil Bear probably came up with that name. Um, and so now we're at the office of Maud Monahan. We've got black and white headshots as far as the eye can see. And this woman and is played- And you know who she is, right? Yes, she's played by Renee Taylor, who is a comedian slash actress slash writer- who um, I guess was in The Nanny, which I'm sure you Yeah, because I'm looking up. at your notes. I'm yeah. like, You're, why is The Nanny not written? Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I can remember some of this stuff. So I knew she was in The Nanny and I knew that that, you, that was going to be your way into her. I yes. don't didn't watch The Nanny, but you should she start. was in one of, It holds up. Oh, I would love to. And I know it just came out it's on, on like, Max HBO or Max and yeah. it holds up. It is a joke a second. Like, I want to watch And the it. butler and like uh, the the woman that works for Mr. Sheffield are so mean to each other. The banter is amazing. There's so many horny jokes. The kids are funny. Um, Like, uh, it's so good. And her outfits alone and the Jew elements. and, And Renee Taylor is a big part of the funny. Yeah, so she's like this classic actress of, you know, the last decades. But she's also been nominated for an Academy Award for writing. Like, she's she used to write things with her husband, her late husband. Wait, hold on. It says she's a voice in Bob's Burgers, and I wonder if she plays the sister. I wonder if she's Linda. Linda Belcher? Not Linda. The Linda's sister. What's her Linda's name? Linda's sister, I think, is Megan Mullally. Yeah. Okay, you're right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, but but Renee Taylor is also in a movie that I'm obsessed with from my youth called Delirious with John Candy. And he plays like a writer who basically writes himself into his own like soap opera. And it's like, and she is um, in that movie. So I wanted to point that out in case anyone else is a Delirious fan out there. Never even heard of it. Oh, it's great. John Candy. I mean, I think I've seen all his movies. I love him so much. Um, But Maude Monaghan happens to remember the exact three blondes who are especially batshit about Cal Cutler. And she points out their headshots because they're all up on her wall. She's like, this is Jenny Coswald, Claire Lockton, and Rita Wills. And Rita Wills looks like she's topless in her headshot. And I respect that. Um... So then the cops tracked down the women and were kind of cutting between all these women. So Jenny Coswald is played by Susan Anton, um, who was on Baywatch and is like another sort of like icon from the 70s and 80s. And she's at her daughter's birthday party and she's like, yeah, I was a young dumbass. He said he'd leave his wife for me, got me into bed, then he dumped me. Then they go to Claire Lockton, played by Morgan Fairchild, 
another icon and is now a high, she's now a high powered lawyer and is like, please keep this hush hush. I don't want my firm to find out. But she admits, I hated Emily Cutler. She made Cal write a letter to me, breaking it off with me. And then finally, they go talk to Rita Wills, the one who slapped Emily in the face at the TV studio. And it's Anne fucking Margaret. Bye bye, Birdie. A million other things. She's huge. And she goes, wow, the bitch was keeping us apart. She plays this part amazingly. It's really fun to watch. And like the rest of them, like the other two women are like, God, I was dumb. Like, yeah, I didn't like the woman, but like my life has moved on for sure. And Rita Wills is like, yeah, that was the love of my life. (laughs) Like, and it's just so sultry and funny. And then we cut back to Morgan Fairchild explaining that She's like, yeah, when Emily died, that was a wake-up call for me. I stopped acting. I went to law school. Susan Anton is like, we were all so dumb. I treated his wife badly. And then Anne Margaret goes, I regret nothing. Those commercials were my big break. It's just a really classic, like top 10, I think, SVU guest stars of all time. Um, Stabler asks them all for DNA. And uh, we see Jenny go, of course. And Claire say, don't mind at all. And then we see Rita flirting with Stabler goes, Oh, and for you, I'll even say, ah, and like opens her mouth like so sexually to Stabler. And it's really, it's like yikes, but it's so funny. Um, So now back at the precinct, they're reviewing the women with Huang and Susan. And she's like, well, Jenny's the one that spit at me and Rita slapped me one time. And um, all of these women have like clear records. Like none of them even has a parking ticket. And Stabler goes, well, Rita is cuckoo for Cocoa Pops, which is, you know, overused at this point, but in 2010, maybe that was a newer joke. But also, uh, Stabler's not hip. So even if it wasn't trending or it was hacky, he is like... You're right. A, he would say that next dad. week on OC. He would yeah. say it next week on OC. You're right. Um, so then Melinda, killing it with all of her mattresses, comes in and they're uh, like another walk on, perfect walk-on and she goes, we found blood other than Emily's on the mattress, um, and it is, dun-dun-dun, Rita's. Whoa. So now, we don't see the other two women again. Now we're focusing on Rita. At Rita's place, she comes to the door holding a huge martini glass, and she looks absolutely hammered, and I'm truly just loving everything about her. She thinks she thinks Stabler's there to fuck, basically, and then when Olivia shows up, she's like, oh, a threesome, I can get down with that. It's really funny. Um, they accuse her of killing Emily and she's like, okay, that's a funny story and tries to walk back into her apartment. And when they arrest her, like when they go to grab her, she smashes her martini glass against the door and starts screaming. Her hair is disheveled. This is a really great arrest. And then suddenly she totally flips and is very docile and is like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's really funny. So now... I mean, can you even believe the Ned Bogdan part like of this episode? Like we're in just a totally another world here. It's just they've <laughs> this episode takes such a left turn to a totally different case and I love it. So, in interrogation, <laughs> Rita's going, "I'm a little drunk. I'm sorry." And then she pulls out a flask and starts adding booze to her coffee cup and I just love how much she parties. And they tell her that they found her blood on Cal and Emily's mattress and she's like, "Oh, you found my blood on the mattress? Well, I can explain that." And then she's like, Cal hated Emily. And she knew all about all these other women, but she would never leave Cal. And she describes how she and Cal had like this, you know, epic sex on their bed and that Cal wanted Emily to walk in on them and find them. But her friend came early and Stabler, dumbass, is like, your friend? And Liv goes, she got her period. And so it's, <laughs> it's just very funny to me that Stabler doesn't get that. Uh, Rita goes... 
Yep, I bled everywhere and it just must have soaked through the mattress. I was so embarrassed, but Cal told me to get rid of the sheets and guess what? I saved them. Go to my apartment and you can find them right there. So they get to her apartment and I don't know if this is surprising or not, but it is a Cal Cutler shrine. There's like full cutouts of him everywhere. His commercial is playing on the TV, like on a loop. Uh, She's got scrapbooks of like articles about him and like letters. And then Stabler finds the period sheets like fully folded up, tied with a ribbon and just period stain up. And it's really funny to see like a picture of Stabler holding period sheets. I will screenshot it and put it on the Instagram because it's so funny. Because I love when he finds them too and he goes, I found the sheets. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then Olivia starts thumbing through her diaries, Rita's diaries, and she finds this last entry and one that says, I killed for you, Cal, and now you should burn in hell or something like that. And then two weeks later, Cal burns to death in a car accident. So a lot of things are coming together here for Stabler and Benson. Um, So Stabler, back in interrogation, like throws the diary onto the table and Rita wakes up because she's face down on the table. And she says... That confession isn't what you think. I wasn't confessing to killing Emily. I was confessing to killing my baby. So basically, she found out that she was pregnant two weeks after Emily died. Cal didn't want the baby. He said it was too soon after Emily was gone and that people would talk. He told her to get rid of it. So she did get an abortion, even though she didn't want to, and got an infection in her uterus that left her unable to have kids. Because... Cal had wanted her, said, just get an abortion and we'll have kids later. That's what he had promised her. And then the abortion he made her get left her unable to I just wonder how good he was fucking these girls. Like, I know. I don't get it. I guess he was getting a lot of practice because he was doing it a lot. Um, And Cal said it was God's plan about what happened to her uterus and then dumped her. So, you know... So then they're like, so you killed him? And she's like, yeah, I did. And they're like, oh, okay. They're like, oh, we're getting our confession now. And then she's like, I made Cal meet me one more time. We met at a bar and we got drunk and we started fighting and we got kicked out. And then they fought and he drove off. And they're like, well, didn't you say you killed him? And she's like, I did kill him. If he was so drunk, I should have taken his keys. So she thinks she's responsible for his death, not that she necessarily, you know, No, did she gives active. us so many twists and turns. Yeah. She gives us so many, I, you know, the diary entry, the, there's just, they're fucking with us and it works. Yeah. And she's the perfect uh, person for this part. Yeah. I don't know. She's great. Because you're like, this bitch is guilt. Okay, blood sheets, you're guilty. Oh, no. A diary entry, you're guilty. No. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Another admission. Not, again, not guilty. Like, what the <laughs> yeah. fuck, Anne-Margaret? No, because this fucking episode has so many twists. There's still like three twists left. Okay, so they've exhumed Cal Cutler's body and Warner has gone over it and her findings are the same as the original autopsy. But twist... The body they exhumed is not Cal Cutler. Melinda's like, this guy's 5'8". Cal was 6'2". Like, we're not, you know, fucking with six inches here of of discrepancy. So the guy that she IDs from prison dental records is named James Rogers, age 44. So Cutler, it looks like, faked his own death. And Melinda goes, here's a lead. Why don't you start with the officer who released Rogers from custody earlier that day? Then Elliot and Olivia both look at the piece of paper and their look is shocked. Then the next scene, Susan Delzio is back at the precinct and Olivia's like, so why did you kill Emily? And Susan's like, 
what the fuck are you talking about? Because the scene starts out very like jokey. She goes, well, you guys are calling me in so much. What do you want me to rejoin the force? And then she's like, ha ha ha. So why'd you kill Emily? And then Susan's like, what are you talking about? And Liv is like, you told us all about meeting Cal, how you were so starstruck by him. It must've been so exciting, like falling into bed with this local celeb, which again, Lisa and I don't understand how that would be that exciting. But Alas, that's what everyone thinks here. And then they show a photo of Jacqueline Smith as a blonde rookie cop. And she just absolutely looks like a supermodel wearing a police hat. Like this photo is wild. Like she just like, you just have never seen a cop that looks like this. There's no way she would survive the police force without getting sexually harassed day in and day out for decades. There's like no way she was not groped and it was the seventies and no one cared. Yeah, for sure. So she's... Like, you know, and, but it also shows that she was blonde back in the day because Susan Delzio now has like a brownish auburn kind of thing going on. So Liv's like, you were smarter than those bimbos. You know, you convinced Cal that he was a top suspect. And then, so you helped him fake his own death. And they're like, what are you talking about? Cal's dead is what Susan's saying. And they're like, Cal isn't dead. James Rogers is. Okay, then why am I here? And where is Cal, you dumb bitch? (laughs) One of the best moments. I love someone just calling Olivia a dumb bitch. Um, And if you listen to our podcast, you know we love saying that. So where is Cal? Because they keep running this story on with her and and she's like, okay, but then where's Cal? Like everything you're saying rests on where Cal is. And then Stabler enters and goes, he's in your apartment where you wouldn't let us in. Remember Pedro, guys? We're about to meet Pedro. And it's Cal Cutler who walks in and he's been living in Susan Delzio's apartment for 35 years. He walks in, his face is like melted, okay? And it turns out that in the original death faking, the car didn't light up the way he planned. So he went down to set it on fire, got drenched in gas, and then like got caught on fire during the explosion. So Susan breaks down and is like, he was gonna leave her. I went to get his things and Emily wasn't supposed to be there. I flew into a rage and it just happened. And Cal forgave her and they're in love and they just wanted to be together forever. And one of them goes, well, forever just ended. And she's like touching Cal's melted face and like, no, no. And then Benson arrests Susan and takes her away while she's screaming, I love you, Cal, over and over again. And that is Dick Wolf, baby. That's true love because he looked like he should be in the Twilight Zone. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're just like, wow, I got the guy. Like, I got the hot guy that all these babes wanted. I'm going to keep him in my house. I'm going to keep him alive. We're never going to leave. But it's like, yeah, he must never leave. Mm-mm. Oh, so crazy. No, and he probably couldn't handle it since, like, for so long, everyone wanted to fuck him and he was a celebrity and now he would be, like, a melted monster and people would be, like, not just casual, but, like, I don't think he can handle it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. That's an incredible episode. Girl power. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, Now have, you know, some messages from our sponsors. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back, baby. Okay, so this is based on The Bedroom Basher. 
Um, and, you know, the bedtime butcher. So very, very close in terms. And there's a lot of um, overlapping with the episode, as you will see. Um, so the bedroom basher was responsible for, in quotes, a string of sex slings that terrorized Orange County in the 1970s. Oh, my gosh. O.C. Wow. Yeah, it was in California. Gerard, Gerald, Gerard, Gerald Parker, <laughs> Gerald. Um, and he was an ex-Marine and he is now in prison in San Quentin, which is the place to be if you're a killer. Like if you want to be put in a jail, San Quentin is where you want to be. A who's who? I, I guess. Yeah, if you're into other psychos. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's a terrible place to be, but you're... You know, it's nice. You're not in Oklahoma. I don't know. Maybe it's better to be in Oklahoma. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just a star fucking whore and San Quentin is famous. So anyways. Is that where Scott Peterson is? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, when the redhead... Well, was that's struggling. why you like it because we all know you love <laughs> Scott Peterson. I bet we lost tens of thousands of listeners <laughs> because of that episode. People are going to turn their backs on me. I know it. But a jury took over just uh, two hours to find Gerald Parker guilty of six counts of first-degree murder, including the death of a fetus. The wild twist is the wrong man, the husband of one of the victims, served more than 16 years in prison for the attack. Ugh. So five of the victims, uh, they were aged between 17 and 31 years old um, in the bedroom basher assaults in 1978 and 1979. We have Deborah Lynn Sr. She was 17 years old and was murdered in her Costa Mesa apartment. Sandra K. Fry was 17 and from Anaheim. Kimberly Gay Rollins, 21, from Costa Mesa. And also from Costa Mesa, Marilyn K. Carlton, who was 31. And then Deborah Kennedy, 24, of Tustin. There's also another DNA match of a rape of a 24-year-old optometrist, but there was a three-year statute of limitations. So the case expired. But like, what? Three years? Three years? So fucked up. Um, also, I love that they're like, you know, 24-year-old optometrist. Like, this is The Bachelor. Like, her name, like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's yeah. just... Um, <laughs> She's a vet tech. Yeah. It, it was just weird to read, but, you know, eye doctors are important. And then the sixth woman was Diana Dayello. And there is an apostrophe in her name, so God knows how to say it, okay? I think but, you got it. Great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> who And she was nine months pregnant. Survived the attack, but the baby was stillborn. Aww. But her husband is the one that was found guilty of the crime. So it's just strange because she wasn't dead. So, like, if someone was dead and then they, you know got the wrong guy convicted, that makes sense. There's not a witness. So I was very confused and I kept rereading and rereading to make sure I wasn't fucking it up that the woman who lived, husband served 16 years of a life sentence for this crime he didn't commit. So I will get into how all of that came about. Of okay, course. I have a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so did I. <laughs> and I kept thinking that I just wasn't reading something right and it was really hard. <laughs> but also for such an interesting crime this is and story, I'm shocked there wasn't more information. Like the New York Times didn't even mention anything and you don't have a subscription. Mm. But I've learned some things you don't have a subscription for. You just copy the the URL. Is that what it's called? The address? Mm -hmm. email, <laughs> the, the, URL. the World Wide Web address. And you open an incognito window. And if yeah. you put it in incognito, you can read the article. Yeah. 
And when someone was telling me they did that, I'm like, just pay the $10 and support journalism, you motherfucker. Like, we need <laughs> journalists and the free press. No, but, but sometimes but I try it. to do that because I'm reading, like, an article and, like, the link. You guys, I one time, like, d- did subscribe to, like, the Nebraska Star or something that I was, like, never going to read. Like, some Omaha newspaper just so I could read an article about one of our cases for this podcast. And then I had to actually contact them and say, hi, I'd like to end my subscription. Like, there was no way to do it online. So it's a little bit harder, easier said than done. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Diana's husband, Kevin Green, was found guilty of the crime. After an alleged fight, they blamed him for it. And he said another man attacked Diello. Um, So he was released from prison in 1996 after DNA samples taken from Parker, who was convicted of rape, matched with the traces from five unsolved crimes and the Green case. So he spent 16 years in prison. Can you fucking imagine? I cannot. So what Deanna claimed was that her ex-husband beat her and left her semi-conscious in their apartment right before Parker entered through an unlocked (gasps) kitchen door and struck and raped her. She said he was mad and attacked her and they were fighting after she refused to have sex. Which would be fucked to force your nine-month pregnant wife to fuck. <laughs> I don't yeah, think. but also that's like a full thing that would happen on SVU. Like you beat your wife and leave her unconscious and then somebody walks right into the door and commits a crime. Yeah. You you committed a crime. That is a crime. But like, that's wild. So she says that the culpability of Gerald Parker does not excuse Kevin Lee Green. She said she feels that she has been raped and beaten by two men, by a stranger and by a man who I loved and trusted, is what she said in court. Wow. In October of 1999, the governor signed a bill awarding Kevin Green $620,000 for compensation for the years he spent behind bars for a crime he did not do. But... Again, like, what the fuck? Like, the wife was alive, so how did she keep blaming her husband if she was dead? Like, it it is tough to put this all together. Yeah. Because she was in a coma and knocked unconscious. So I'm not sure how her testimony was even admissible in court. And I'm not a lawyer. I think I am, of course. But I I don't know how it was allowed if she was fucked. Um, And she suffered memory loss, but her testimony did help convict him. And I feel bad for Kevin Lee Green, but he also beat a nine-month pregnant woman unconscious. I mean, he denies it. Yeah, I have no idea what happened. I mean, he had an out. So basically, the what the jury did not believe Green's alibi. He said that he went to eat a cheeseburger at the time of the attack, and that he had seen a black man loitering around the apartment complex. And the jury just didn't believe it because also blaming a random or imagined black person is pretty standard. Mm -hmm. Um you know, to lie and blame it on somebody black. So that, like, his alibi worked against. That's the thing that's tough because he was, like, this model inmate and we'll get into it. But, of course, did he beat this nine-month pregnant wife? Why, like, why was Gerald never in the picture? It's tough. I have no idea. I don't know why I see it as so twisted, but maybe he did leave his wife unconscious on the ground. It's fucked up. Well, I mean, I don't know why she would make up that story. I don't either. You know? I don't either. So if he did, I mean, if he did do it, he did spend 16 years in prison. So that is good. But Mm. it is the death, the unwanted death of a fetus that is a murder. Mm. I don't know. Like I said, I'm very shocked that there's not more about this case. There was one 
weird episode of something that I didn't want to watch, but... Yeah, and like, if he beat her, that is what could have caused the stillborn to die. They probably cannot determine whether it was that beating or the second crime that, that is what killed the child. Yeah. Or the, the fetus. Yeah. Yeah. She ended up suing him for a wrongful death suit and still holds him partially responsible for the crime. She won a multi-million dollar judgment by default because Green was in prison. Um, but when he was freed from prison, he filed a countersuit to have the judgment thrown out and it was voided eventually. Hmm. Um, but he has said that she was a victim of the system as I was and isn't mad or blames her for anything. So does that mean he's like a good guy or he knows he fucking beat the shit out of her and is yeah. like, I don't blame her. I did fuck up. I don't know. Lies. I don't know. I'd also, I'd also be mad if I had to spend that much time in jail if I didn't do it. I, it's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but scoop from the jail was that he was a model inmate. My favorite. This is one of my favorite things I've ever found in research. He planned and coordinated the prison Christmas parties. Love that. (laughs) He was the warden's secretary, and he helped give tours to college students of the prison. And he kept remaining, like, he kept saying he was innocent the whole time, and that actually hurt him in parole hearings because he was viewed as unrepentant. So... You know, they like when you learn a lesson. They don't like if you continue to say that you're innocent. Here's what I don't understand. The DNA they found on her was not his DNA. You know what I mean? Like, he couldn't have gotten the... But there was no DNA. This was the 70s. Then how did they end up matching it to Gerald? In the 90s. In the 90s, Gerald... I'll get back into it. No, you're right. Around the time of Diella's attack, several other women were sexually assaulted and brutally murdered by an assailant, but the cases were never linked. And then the crimes eventually ran cold. Um, and it could have been because the Tustin and Costa Mesa departments weren't sharing information with each other or whatnot. I'm not really sure. But they did. They do always keep working on unsolved murders. And then in the 90s, they learned of a new technology, genetic testing. So um, it was short tandem repeats, STR. It's a type of DNA analysis that's effective in identifying individuals. At the time, the Orange County Crime Lab was only one of three labs in the nation capable of this type of analysis. Wow. So that's really exciting. And maybe it's because Orange County is really rich. Maybe, like, we we do cover a lot of crimes in Southern California. So mm. maybe it's because we're a hotbed or whatnot. But one of three. So the Tustin and Costa Mesa PD submitted DNA from the bedroom basher murders. And the STR method was used to match DNA of convicted individuals through a computer database called CODIS. And we've heard about CODIS on SVU, and this could be a Teru moment for us. Maybe not. For me, it was. CODIS stands for something. It's Combined DNA Index System. So we're learning, honey. And they got Mm -hmm. multiple hits. Multiple hits. He obviously thought he had gotten away with these murders for such a long time, which I bet is even more powerful than big dick energy. Like, getting away (laughs) with murder energy, I'm sure, is big. Yeah. They also think that he's responsible for more killings, especially these three other dead women in Orange County, but they have not been able to prove that. So um, once they established all the links, they took a field trip. They traveled to Avenal State Prison in Central California to talk to Parker. And eventually the Orange County District Attorney did apologize to Kevin Green, but also said our justice system is not 100% perfect, but it's as close to perfect as you're going to find anywhere in this world. That can't be true. So it's like, you're either dumb or not well-traveled or you think I'm like, 
It's mm. just not true. And yeah. I don't, and if I don't want you working in the legal system, if you think it's the that best. it's close to perfect in the world. Yeah, that's really a wild statement. I've just been thinking about juries more and more and what they cling to and what they don't and that you need money and our justice system is not perfect. So whatever. Cool apology, bro. Um, But obviously, like, when this all happened, they were very excited and completely amazed, said Frank Fitzpatrick, the sheriff's forensic science director. And he said, not only did we get a hit in the database, but it was linked to all of these cases. And I'm sure that was, like, so fucking exciting. Solving a cold case seems exciting. So Gerard... Why do I want to say Gerard so bad? So (laughs) Gerald Parker was in custody for sexually assaulting a 13-year-old girl in Tustin in 1980. And then he confessed to it all, including Diello. Uh, the defense did not really contest much on any of the physical evidence that included fingerprints and DNA matches that made it very clear that Parker did it. Parker's lawyers mostly focused on his state of mind at the time of the crimes and said he was wasted. So it was second degree, not first degree murder because he couldn't have planned because he was like an alcohol drug addict. But I was listening to Whitney Cummings' podcast again with Jennifer Freeman. They were talking about when it comes to murder, arguing, it's really hard to charge someone with first-degree murder. And, like, it's hard to prove that somebody planned something or was gonna do it. So, um, yeah, like, if you're, like, a hardcore murderer, your job isn't to, like, free the person. It's to try to get it down. You know, yeah, like my uncle's a public was a public defender for a really long time in Florida, and he I'd be like, "Do your clients like do it?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, they've always done it. I'm trying to get them to not die. Like I'm trying to get them not to have the death penalty." Yeah, and I'm like, "Oh, got it, got it." And I'm like, "So they're never innocent?" He's like, "No." <laughs> but do but do they lie and tell him that they are and he just goes with it? I don't think so. A lot of times it's like you busted in on your wife in bed with someone and shot her. That's what he told me. It was like stuff like that where it's like it's irrefutable like that you did it. Like it's just, you know. Ugh. So, but it's to me, the prosecution, of course, and I agree, called bullshit and said he knew exactly what he was doing. Because if there's a pattern and you always do yeah. the same thing, there's you clear if you've done it seven times. You know what you're doing, wasted or not. Totally. You might be wasted to get your nerve up, but you're doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. And he just kept saying, I was just there to rob people. The killing was an accident side effect. And it's like, shut up, bro. You had a signature. The judge in the case, Francisco P. Brazino. Brazano? Let's just call him Brazino for the fish. (laughs) Told Parker his his inhumane behavior is beyond belief. And he rejected all of the defense's arguments about Parker and that his life should be spared because he was a drug addict with a troubled background. And it's like, sorry, unfortunately, that only works for white men who murder dozens of people at once. Honey, come on now. It's not going to work for you. Um, He was convicted in 1998, sentenced to death in 1999. Like I said, he is in San Quentin on death row. And Green, Kevin Green now lives in Missouri. And of course, you know, tragedy all the way around. Lots of lives damaged, lost, lots of years, and I don't know. And is this fucked up? But did you say how they how he murdered them? I think that he just beat the shit out of them. When you said the guy said it was an accident, I'm like, how much of an accident could it be to like bash someone to death? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Don't Obviously, if I found it, I would have written it, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was hard. It was like the LA Times was the only thing that really gave me more like I had to go on Murderpedia. I was on sheriff's websites. Like, I really, there was not as much as I would have assumed 
that's really interesting. And a lot of it was about the exoneration of Kevin Green and the letting go and like the dramatics of that versus mm. this. So I don't know. Interesting. Well, thanks for all that research. I knew not a lick about the bedtime. No, that's what I mean. And this. it's such an intricate yeah. case and different and fall, like, you know, and this whole time I'm like, oh, thank God Kevin Green got out of prison. But then it, you brought up, it doesn't mean that Diana was wrong. And so that adds more layers to it. And obviously yeah. SVU found how to get this going, but I am shocked that it's not more like in conversation or another podcast. Well, and I'll, obviously I wish there was a 70s mattress king who was embroiled in a, you know, multi-woman plot that ended up with him living in seclusion for 35 years. But this melting, was good too. Slowly melting. Yeah, <laughs> and slowly melting. Um, all right, that was awesome. And we have a... You're not even going to believe it, honestly. Uh, it's such a good... I'm so excited who we're talking to, guys. Stick around. <laughs> Okay, you guys, we were both like truly gagged when this person said that they would do our podcast. Like we were like, are you sure? Like, does she know what this is? So, like we have a truly iconic actress, an absolute fashion mogul, a legend in celebrity branding. She's appeared in everything from CSI to The Love Boat and is best known as one of the OG angels in Charlie's Angels. But you guys know her from today's episode as Susan Delzio. Guys. Feast your ears on our chat with the great Jacqueline Smith. Oh my gosh, Jacqueline Smith. We really cannot believe we're talking to you. Yeah, what made you say yes to the podcast? We were floored. <laughs> you were like our reach and we could not believe it. Oh, that's very flattering. Thank you. No, although, you know, I'm not used to podcasts, but I think they're certainly what's happening today. And it's good for yeah. me to sort of open up and do it and meet more people and do more things. Love that. And we obviously have a lot of prepared questions, but I see there's trophies behind you and I am intrigued and I'd like to know what they are. They're not mine. Okay. <laughs> golf trophies. Oh, and he's okay. a brilliant golf. I mean, he's, he's good. So oh, really? And it's his passion. Wow. Where did he go? So he... You're my passion. I'm his passion, right? That's a good answer, Brad. Yeah. But he he's played all his life. And Amazing. Yeah. Loves. Do you, and you you do, guys live in Los Angeles, right? Yes. Yeah, we're here too. So you must belong to like a club where he gets to play a lot, right? Well, he he belonged to a club in Houston where I'm from because he practiced mm -hmm. medicine there. And now he's in the process of joining a club here. Great. It is true. This club situation. You got to get your hours in. You can't just. Oh, yeah. You got to, you know, <laughs> no. Have everybody to your house and do the right things to get into these clubs. Oh, I don't my understand gosh. it. In the film business, we don't have clubs. <laughs> right. We just welcome everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So country well, clubs, I'm from I'm from Connecticut, so I know the whole club. You know, yeah, I was about to say, how do you know about golfing? And then I go, oh, yeah, Connecticut. <laughs> oh, Connecticut. Yes. I love Connecticut. Yeah. Really? How long have you been here? I've been in LA for six years after 11 in New York City and then growing up in Connecticut. I get it. Yeah. New York's fun. Yeah, yeah. It. Yeah. Did, did you spend uh, like a lot of time living there ever? I started my career there as a ballet wow. dancer and then- Oh, that's right. Lived on with doing other things and would go back and forth. But now with COVID, I haven't been probably in two years, you know, uh, 
I go because my design team for Kmart Sears, which I'm no longer mm-hmm. with, but um, <laughs> uh, was there. So I was constantly going and loving it. I love New yeah. York. No, it's we are it's, big we are both a, we're both both big fans. Yeah. If we could be bi coastal easily, we would both do that. I think. Yeah, it would be nice. But you did mention the Kmart line, and we were talking about how now so many celebrities and influencers have lines and makeup lines and everything. But you were really the first. And do you think you get enough credit for being <laughs> kind of the first celeb clothing line? I think where the credit comes, if I think of it as credit, is I did it 35 years. And that speaks for the line and my team. And 36 years, he's going to correct me. (laughs) (laughs) He's the numbers man. It's the way our brains work. But when you think of 36 years with a store, it was an education. They were great to me. I had the greatest team. I went the distance. And as much as we talk about Charlie's, Kmart Sears was my career in branding. And it it opened up so many things for me. So yeah. I'm grateful. No, it's just funny that like any housewife that's been on the show for like one, one season will put out a skincare line or, you know, do anything, like all, all different kinds of, of stuff. And you seem like you're like the Jacqueline Smith collections, like the first celebrity to kind of get in that you're a trailblazer it was at the time you know I was under contract to max factor and they did not want me to do it they said that's not your customer don't and I turned it down and then they said take a meeting with us and I did and I saw a line it was a, a line called Hunter's Glen it was very reminiscent of Ralph Lauren and I looked at it and I thought wow how can they do that for that price you know and it fascinated yeah. me And I thought, hmm, I'm going to take this on because my mother had always wanted to be a designer. And I thought this is an opportunity for me. And it's it's going to be going a new new direction, new terrain. And it's going to be a challenge. And it was a challenge. And I would say, look, over 100 million women have purchased my clothes. So that's. You know, that's a great feeling. Do you remember any specific product that was like the big hit? Like, oh, we had this leopard blouse that flew off the shelves or like this duster, like anything like. Um, my husband's talking in the background. <laughs> He's like, I know. Yeah, it's <laughs> classic. <laughs> yeah, he, he loves it. I think he should be on camera. <laughs> I just wanted to know you. Okay. Yeah, we know. <laughs> okay. Any particular thing that flew out? Yeah, yeah, or like that just was, yeah, like a signature thing or you were like, wow, this was like our biggest seller. Well, certainly my first collection was it just because we didn't we didn't debut it in all the stores and it just sold like gangbusters. And wow. it was uh, sort of uh, very collegiate looking pleated pants and, you know, cotton blouses and very, uh, you know, just sort of classic clothing. And, and so then it was a big hit. But then later we did cashmere sweaters, V-neck, V-neck uh, cardigans, and uh, they flew out because the price point was yeah. unbelievable for 100% cashmere. Yeah. So there are those particular things, our leather skirts, our pencil leather skirts. Then we went into vegan leather skirts, which flew. So there's been... You know, and then we always did in October, breast cancer month, 
because I'm a breast cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. So we would do a collection and a, and part of that went to breast cancer research. That's amazing. You seem like you really like, um, you know, a lot of people are really stuck in what they know and you seem like you really, uh, are open to new things and pivoting. Like let's do a leather skirt to a vegan skirt to podcasts, you know, well, you're podcast, trying new things. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> you girls are great. And you know, when you, you don't know where to look on a podcast, cause I'm an, you know, actress so to start with the stories in the eyes and you just, you know, are looking a million places. I think podcasts are Hard. And when you're a hit at it, it's really, it's not the easiest thing to do. No, it's, and you know, I think when podcasts first started, a lot of people were doing it together. It's really COVID that we're on Zoom. Like you used to yeah. invite someone to your studio and you would sit across from each and other I and have a conversation. Would love that because yeah. I love one on one stories in the eyes. Sure. And, you know, you get to, but you know, it, it's interesting, even in film today, auditions are on Zoom and on camera. And I think they miss so much. They miss so much from Yeah, oh, that's interesting. People. Are you still auditioning? Are you still well, sending tapes? Not always I feel audition. you're an offer only girl, no? Oh, well, that, I like to think <laughs> I'm an offer only. And yes, there are those. And then sometimes they'll say, we want to see you on film. And you yeah. know, so I'll do it. But, you know, in general, you know, they do know my work and I have a, a film that I can show them. But sometimes, yeah. you know, they say, no, we want to see you read these lines. And, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And how, well, yeah, speaking of. Well, I was just going to say, now that we're getting into your acting uh, career, can we talk about like what got you to this SVU episode? Like, we have a theory you- that Neil Bear wanted you and came right after you. That's right. Do you know him? Yes. He's done our podcast twice. Oh, he is a great guy. And as you know, in that episode I did, he had Anne Margaret, Morgan Fairchild, and all these, you know, sort of 70s. Uh, it was really uh, a fun show to do, although I didn't get to work with Anne Margaret and I didn't work with Morgan. But I love doing SVU. I love New York. There was a big snowstorm. We were there longer. The streets were covered in snow. Wow. And, and so you know, the length of time was, you know, much longer because we had to delay some shootings, but it's a great show. It's a show that, gosh, how many years? 20, 23 seasons. So he's done your podcast. Tell him hi if he does it again. Yeah. No. And he, you know, he told us that's his sort of like the thing, a thing he loves are just like all these classic actresses from the seventies. And so he was constantly trying to get them. And I think this episode is like got Neil Bear's name written all over it because you were all well, all like these icons in one episode. His idea, I think he had it even long before he brought it together. And I had worked for Dick Wolf before, who because I'd done Christine Cromwell for him. And um, it just worked. All those girls yeah. came together. And and uh, it was a fun show. It's funny. I wanted to do the Anne Margaret part. And they oh. go, no, you're more right for this part. And, you know, so I ended up being the bad guy. And it was... <laughs> The bad girl, which I'm yeah, not but you were casting. such a great twist. Like you were the yeah. good. You were like another cop. Like just like a lot of times that show will bring in like a helper cop that kind of helps the squad, and they don't always turn out bad. But you did, and I it was did. A great, I was bad. A great and, twist. Uh, <laughs> did you know that going in, or while you read the script, was it a surprise to you, or no? Well, it it opened up as I read it because I didn't think she, you know, and it was revealed at the end. So. 
So it was fun. And, and uh, of course, as you know, being in New York was a plus. It was a real plus. Yeah. Even though you had no scenes with the other uh, guest starring women, did you guys get to do any dinners, hang out, have some laughs at the hotel? <laughs> On the set. <laughs> no. You know, it's funny. They bring them in. You know, they bring me to do my part. They bring Anne. They bring Morgan. So that's how they save money, time. Sure. <laughs> and Don't um, have a lot of people waiting you know, around. But uh, it would have been fun. Normally, if you do... You know, I've done Hallmark where, you know, Hallmark brings in actresses from the 70s. I watched it every night because I had to see those Christmas lights and Christmas trees. And, <laughs> and you know, they say it's the highest rated network. Did you know that? I did Hallmark? not, but I believe it. And um, so when I do that and you're on location, yes, you have dinner and you hang out and, mm. you know, it's a real camaraderie. But on SUV, it's time to the nth degree. So they yeah. can get that show in seven days. Or... Right. That's what we've heard from a lot of people that it's very like, you know. Yeah, clip, it's clip. so well organized and it's down to, you know, a certain routine and they've got it down. Yeah. And those actors are, you know, they can do it in their sleep. Sure. You play a former cop, retired cop in this episode. Did you draw on any of your Charlie's Angels detective skills? <laughs> Yeah. Was I a, yeah, it was so long ago. No. How long ago was that? No, but I, you know, I'm married to this guy that, uh, ends up being sort of crazy. Um, yeah, but you, you, I think Charlie's, you know, when I think back to holding a gun, uh, we knew Farrah and I knew nothing. Kate, she was like, oh, God, she could just, you know, walk down the street, hold that gun. And, I'm doing a book now. I'm writing about that, how uncomfortable it was to hold a gun. Oh, wow. So we had lessons. We had a technical advisor come in and teach us, um, you know, how you, you know, the safety issues of the gun, which is very important today. We know that. Yes. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I think you draw on everything you do. Certainly I drew on Charlie's. Mm. Uh, but Charlie's was, hey. Let's face it, not a serious fluff. And it, it, what, did, what did Aaron Spelling call Charlie's? Um, you know, mind candy. It was just supposed yeah. to be fun and not overanalyzed. And and um, so for SVU, no, I couldn't really draw on too much except just the lingo of a cop, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of Charlie's Angels, are so you've sort of appeared in a lot of the remakes, right? I did. Some little cameos. in the second one with Drew and Cameron and Lucy and loved it. And then the last one, very brief, um, you know, but the last Charlie's evolved to a place I didn't recognize our show because, you know, I mean, times change and they, uh, uh, <laughs> they went to another <laughs> level. Bosley, there were a million Bosleys. And it's interesting <laughs> because I think the fans of Charlie's want Charlie's. They mm. want that original concept. And it, and I think, you know, certainly the way Drew brought it to life and Lynn Goldberg, that's what the public wanted. Yeah, yeah. It was a hit. And you yeah, know what sure. just hit me? I wonder if you, do you, like that pose has lived on and still to this day, if I'm taking a picture with two other girls, it's like, get into the Charlie's pose. Do you ever see that when you're out and about and I see it on Instagram? Ask me to do that pose, you know, <laughs> with two other girls or so that's just, and my daughter goes, mom, why are you doing that? 
I said, honey, you know, they don't quite get it. They don't get, you know, my children never really watched Charlie's Angels. And uh, they've seen it. They know it. I think they saw Drew's, you know, the second movie. And they were sort of taken back with it. And <laughs> but it's not familiar to them because yeah. they were little. And, and um, you know, I, I, I repeat this. My son would go, uh, ooh, there's, there's Jacqueline. He, mommy and Jacqueline Smith were like two different people, you know? Right. And he did, they just, you know, they were removed from it. And I was just mom. I was just mom. So they're not, they don't really know that many shows. Like there are so many people, this show, I'm always shocked when I'm signing pictures for people that send in Charlie's, Charlie's, Charlie's. That's what it, you know. Yeah. And I don't think that pose will ever go away. I think uh, even if the youth doesn't know where it's coming from, they you probably do don't. Yeah, <laughs> they probably don't at all. No, God, and I existed before that white bikini and that, you know. <laughs> that's when I was born. Yeah. No, it, it's interesting, but it's it when you think back, it's it's really great to be on on a show remembered like that and that kind of a hit because it's rare today. And now yeah. there's so many networks. So, wow. We talk about that all the time that, um, you know, SVU is probably one of like the few existing shows that like a lot of people will watch because it's in syndication so much. But yeah, the water cooler shows like just don't really exist anymore because there's so much splintered specific networks of you can watch whatever you want to watch. I don't know how people make up their mind, you know, (laughs) and then there's so many choices. But, you know, when you think of Friends or Sex in the City and it'll be interesting to see how the new Sex in the City We've been watching. Are you watching? Yes, I have been watching it. Um, it's interesting. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I love the girls. I love yeah. the girls. Yeah. So can I ask you just a couple more SVU yes. things? Just because, sure. um, you know, we can't get enough. Um, oh, that's so- wonderful. I'm glad. <laughs> so y'all are really, I mean, I am too. Like at night when I'll turn it on and watch a rerun. Yeah. Yeah. Do, people, do you ever like hear from people when yours reruns? Like oh, your episode's on again. I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's rerun quite a bit. So yeah. So what, I, what you you got to be in like a great scene like at the station with you were you were with like Marishka, Christopher Maloney, Dan Florek, BD Wong, like power players from the show. So like what was that like? Did you did you hit it off with any of them specifically or any little memories or tidbits oh, you remember? Well, I knew Marishka and I think she's oh, okay. wonderful. I mean, not, you know, just in passing and knowing her, but in all honesty, to be in that ensemble was a bit uh Uh, daunting, you know, because you've got to get into their rhythm. And it's a fine oiled machine, that group. And so, you know, I am an actress that has done, you know, my movies and not gone into series that much. So I think it was one of the more challenging moments because you don't want to let them down and you want to be right in with them and have their rhythm. And uh, so you know, it worked out great, but were there nerves? Yeah, there were some nerves, but everybody was so nice. You couldn't have gotten a nicer group. And, and um, like I say, they, you know, the director knew, you know, 
how to stage, how to place, how to. My scenes were emotional. So I was sort of into my head too, because at the end, there's kind of an emotional crying scene, and mm-hmm. which usually uh, I'm pretty good at because I'm highly emotional. Uh, so, you know, I just remember it, it being a little scary at first because I hadn't done series that much. I've just done movies. And on a movie, everybody's coming in fresh. Right. Getting to know. And it's a longer process. Yeah. I loved your chemistry with Mariska so much. And there's this awesome scene where you guys are walking and both of your hair is flowing in this perfect way. And (laughs) it's just the coolest uh, hair walk ever. Yeah. Um, Well, gosh, you guys really remember it. This I'm going to watch it again. Yeah, we will watch it again. (laughs) You should. You're so good in it. You should definitely watch it. Well, thank you. I don't always rewatch or watch some, but I am good. Yeah, I need to refresh with that one. Yeah, the chemistry, like you and Mariska at the end when she's got you in the room, it's like very playful how she's kind of like, here's what you did. And she's like running through, like, but your characters like got an answer for every question. It's just like, no, this is why, this is why. And like, it's not until she really. And you got to call her a dumb bitch. Was that fun? Did I? I've got to watch. I wish I'd have watched it. Yeah. That should be a meme. It's so funny. You're like, what do you know, you dumb bitch? It's so <laughs> funny. I don't remember saying that. Okay, I'm watching it again tonight. Yeah. Well, we love to say that. It's one of our favorite phrases on this podcast. We're like, dumb you bitch, know, we, yeah. So yeah, yeah, we'll call somebody a dumb bitch if they're if they deserve right. it. And with network television, you don't always hear swears, so it is really uh, still shocking and exciting to hear. Yeah, something but on today, NBC. guys, we do hear it, don't we? Mm. Well, not oh, on I mean, network. It's changed. On cable. On yeah. Table. Well, another moment that was shocking was when Cal Cutler, your husband, your guy. Oh, you got it. I know (laughs) that brings back a lot. That name, that name, what a name, Cal Cutler. But also the prosthetics. He looked very scary. Do you remember having this act with him? Right. Yeah, he had like a melted face. I know he had a melted face. Yeah. <laughs> As I remember, I was hiding him, wasn't I? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You were I, was hiding hiding. Him. I do remember certain things. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll cut. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. And then there's one point also where they like look into your past or whatever, and they open up your folder, your file, and there's like a photo of you as a young cop. And it's just like beautiful Jacqueline Smith supermodel cop. And I was like, did she give them this photo or did they Photoshop this from like old existing photos of you that are on the You know, I do remember that and I can't remember. Oh, okay. I I, just, it's such a specific question. I don't know if that was an old photo or they Photoshopped or... God, you guys know more about it than I do. (laughs) Of course. That's, this is our business. But I mean, I... I will, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just out of curiosity. I'm, I do remember, did I turn in a picture and they do something? I don't know, or maybe. I wonder, because you. Sure. it's this beautiful, like, mod photo of you. And I'm like, this does not look like a cop. This looks like a supermodel, but. <laughs> well, you know that they can pull those up. I mean, I, I get pictures to sign today that I don't even know where that picture came from. <laughs> and that I haven't even seen. I don't know today on the. Internet. Yeah. You know, everything's possible. Yeah. No privacy. Right. 
But also nice little memories I saw on your Instagram. People are like sending you old videos of you dancing and doing like, you know, it's kind of nice that that stuff exists. Yeah, some of those are quite, you know, the last one I didn't even remember. I don't know. It was uh, uh, mascara or lashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of me dancing, which I loved because that was my beginnings and possibilities that that moment in time in New York. And mm, I yeah. loved every minute of it, dancing. Being a ballerina in New York is very few people get to do that. It's very cool. Well, I didn't really get to be in the New York City <laughs> Ballet, guys, but uh, I did study and with the best. And I thought I would go home to Houston, Texas and open a ballet school and teach. But um, life takes turns and a different career happened for me. And I think my parents only let me go to New York because they thought, oh, she'll go. She'll get tired of it. She'll come back. Right. And um, Oops. It, it was hard at first because I was so close to home and my family. Uh, but I stayed two months, went home and thought, you know what? I'm going back. And that's when I really started to have a career. Wow. Um, I wanted to ask one more quick question. Um, cause you were mentioning zoom and like that diff, like the difference between like zoom and putting yourself on tape for auditions is just different than, cause like you've been acting since the seventies. So you've seen the industry go through these huge, huge changes. And I was just wondering right. how, like are any other observations of like how it's changed for women or just in your experience? Well, me too changed everything. Mm. I mean, um, I think, um, Yeah, I think things are different. That's one thing I think is good about Sex in the City. Older, you know, older actresses going back and, you know, reacquainting with a different chapter in their life is always an interesting thing. But I, the industry is different because there's so many options. There's cable, there's, yeah, it's totally different than when I started. Mm. Totally. It's quicker. It's less expensive. The camera work. So, yeah, I I think I was lucky to be on a show with Aaron Spelling and Lynn Goldberg where they didn't, I mean, everything, it was the best cameras, the best lighting, the best wardrobe, the best what you see is what you get. I mean, you know, it was kind of um, a wonderful time yeah. to be in television. Not that today isn't, it's just different. It's totally different. Yeah. Do you have like any projects coming up, causes you support, anything happening with the Jacqueline Smith line that you want to like just shout out to our listeners? I have something in the works that I can't talk about Mm, yet. We love that. Um, Yeah. And um, I have a book I'm working on. And then I have a skincare line. My my husband does have a little (laughs) Uh, (laughs) retinol in it, anti-aging gold standard. Uh, And then um, I have a wig line I'm shooting this Sunday, in fact, um, with my daughter. She's coming in to do it with me, which gives, you know, two different ages in these wigs. It's for Polly Young. And I have a fabric line with Fabric Cut. My line is called Trend because my passion is home. It's my favorite place in the whole wide world. I love decorating. I love doing houses. And so I have this line that's quite, you know, everything I think I've done, the wigs, the fabric, the skincare is affordable. My customer uh, counts on value from me. 
And I think we've worked at where, you know, certainly my skincare is online and um, we can lower the price. This new thing I have in the works, we will be reaching out to stores. I just can't talk about it yet until, you know. We love secrets. Yeah. Yeah. Secrets (laughs) are good. Anticipation is good. And, um, but the skincare is my, my husband being a pediatric heart surgeon and doctor, he developed it with things I have used on my skin for, you know, 50 years, <laughs> long time. And it's working. And Well, thank you. <laughs> I know we were going to wrap up, but I'm curious how you and your husband met. We met in um, UCLA. He operated on my dad, who was here for my son's birthday. Daddy got sick and he was in the hospital and Brad was one of the surgeons. He did a quadruple bypass. And so there he was. And whoa, I (laughs) didn't think anything was going to go in the direction it went, but um, it did. And he was very kind to my parents. And he's, my mother never wanted me to walk down to the garage by myself. He said, I'll walk her down. And he did. And he said, can I take you to dinner? (laughs) And um, that was it. He was very... um, different. He was not a Hollywoodite and he was very unfettered and different than anybody I'd ever known. Still is. <laughs> Still is. Many, many years later. That's great. He's been a great stepdad to my children. So, you know, that's the best gift he could have yeah, given me. That's amazing. Love that well, story. you know, we do have a um we do have a <laughs> casting person from SVU who listens to our podcast. So I would love to know if you were invited back. Would you be open to going back on SVU? Absolutely. All right. Good to hear. Tell him to write me another great part. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love the show. So yeah, I'm a fan. So yeah. Cause I yeah. think you could really play like a rich lady with a secret. Okay. Mm. I'm for it. Yeah. Tell them <laughs> more work, the better. Keeps you young. Work keeps you young. Oh my God. I love Jacqueline Smith. Can she be my mom? I, she, her little husband puttering around and correcting her and giving her little tidbits about her own career. He's so cute. Um, yeah, I can't believe we got to talk to her. It's really like, what the fuck? Yeah. So one of Neil Bear's ladies. Yeah. Yeah. We got one of the Neil Bear angels, uh, and legit a Charlie's angel, but it's an icon. There's some people, sometimes I sit back and I'm like, damn, what the fuck? Just like Jacqueline Smith and Lou Diamond Phillips. Who are we? (laughs) Tom Skerritt on zoom. Yeah. It's (laughs) like the number of people that I just grew up watching that we've talked to is pretty wild, but and people, they don't, I don't think they ever, anyone means it insulting. I think they're genuinely curious, but I love when people go, yeah, how'd you get them? I, I'm shocked that I saw them on. <laughs> okay, Joel Kim. <laughs> it was about Dennis O'Hare. He goes, honestly, I was really shocked to see that he did it. And I was like, Dennis O'Hare. Yeah, it's like, adjust your of expectations of us, JKB. We're getting people. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, post-mortem on this episode. I don't know. I can't say we learned a lot of lessons. Like, this fucking episode is one of the wildest things in the world. Like, the love triangles, the hiding a man with a melted face. I can't say that there's a lot of real-world translation, but the killer guy being right in plain sight as, like, a sick, dandruffy murderer was pretty... 
scary. Well, I, my favorite is Anne Margaret being the killer eight times, but not. Yeah. Like, it was just like, <laughs> I did it. But this one, it's like, she gave us a performance of a life. Well, I think we learned that sometimes being a little bit crazy pays off. Like, because she fucking kept those bloody sheets. That was a good, like, everything was her alibi because she was such a nut. Like, she loved him. I loved the cutaways where it was like, we talked about this, obviously, but where it was like, it was a mistake. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. And then her going, I fucking loved it and I would do it again. <laughs> like, like, I Amazing. also, I loved how Jacqueline Smith told us that that's the part she was going for. And I think she probably could have done excellent with it, but like, it really ended up perfect, the casting. Like, her as the, <laughs> what do you know about it, you bitch? Like, I mean, <laughs> one of the best moments of all time on SVU, just her calling the Queen Benson a bitch. And in terms of the real life case, for me, the biggest takeaway is like, I nothing is real and I don't know what's right or wrong or what happens. Like, that guy spent 16 years in prison. Was it a false thing? Did he attack his wife? We don't know. And Maybe he was an abuser, but not a murderer, you know? Yeah, it's just like how things are not always... So, oh, I want to say, so I was asked to go into jury duty oh! um, recently, but it's in Illinois, so I couldn't. Oh. Um, so I'm going to send in documents. I got to switch. I mean, the fact that I still have an Illinois license, I have not lived in Illinois for eight years, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I just refuse. I don't know. It just Listen, regular tasks stress me out, but... Um, so I wrote them. I'm like, I'm sorry. I would obviously like to do my service, but I'm, I'm actually going to be out of town for work and this and that. And I live here. Responded with within a day going, yep, you're relieved. We'll hit you back in 11 weeks. Send us this paperwork. Like you hear so much shit about jury duty and the government. And I was like, this is the best customer service I've ever had. Which wow, I'm surprised you were able, that might be a COVID thing that you were able to email because usually you have to like show up and say, I can't do it. And then that's the pain in the ass with jury duty. Yeah, maybe. I mean, hopefully things will change and they don't won't go back to psych that. <laughs> um, I just had it in LA. I just had it like a few months ago, but it was like because of COVID, everything's online. So you show up every day, you check in at a certain time, and then it goes, you don't have to you don't have to do anything. And then you check in the next day, you do that for a full week, and every day it just said you don't have to do anything. And then that's it. I guess I just did my jury duty like service. But nobody I asked me any serve. questions. Me too. I just need to become a California resident, I think, so then I can maybe do jury duty here while I'm here. I don't know. I have, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I do think you should get a California license. Also, if you get pulled over, tell them you just yes. moved here. Yeah, yeah. Just telling well, you, I stupidly <laughs> said, oh, I've been here six months. And they were like, you're going to court. And then, I would say I don't even live here. I'm going to be like, I stay at a, I do, I, I swap with a friend. Get away from me. No, yeah, I would never. Your name's on the registration of your car. They're not totally idiots. Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, let's. Um, this was a great episode. I'm so happy we did it. It's psychotic. Um, but let's get into <laughs> what would Sister Peg do? Psychotic, iconic. <laughs> um, our what would Sister Peg do this week? Which is our weekly segment where we give you guys some information or an organization, a book, an article, something to give you more info about what we talked about in today's episode. Listen, today's episode, I didn't really see a lot of real world application to it. It's like a full crazy commercial man who's uh, got seven girlfriends and then someone's keeping a melted man in her apartment. It just didn't really, like nothing jumped out to me as something that would like be like pro-victim. But um, I wanted to shout out today an organization that connects to Melissa Lucio, who I talked about at the beginning of the episode. 
Um, we've already mentioned uh, Her Whole Truth, which is an Instagram. They're doing a lot for to help Melissa. So you can check that out. Hopefully you follow them already. But this organization was sent to me by a listener. And I'm so sorry, I forgot to save your message. I just saved the organization that you sent me. So I can't shout you out, but thank you for sending this to me. So this um, organization is called Advancing Real Change. It's www.advancechange.org. And they're an organization of mitigation specialists that help decision makers see a fuller, more nuanced picture of every person facing incarceration. So that's their background, abuse they've experienced, you know, uh, like childhood trauma, a, a trauma as an adult. It just p- paints a bigger picture and not just like, this is a criminal and more, this is a person that could use rehabilitation and help. So as a result, they enable more just outcomes that take the whole person into account. So if you want to support them or even work for them, they have employment and internship opportunities on their website. They also have a bunch of workshops and trainings listed. Uh, Please check them out at advancedchange.org. And again, these are always on our Instagram and in our Instagram highlight called WWSPD. Thank you so much for that, Kara. What a terrible time and hopefully she will not be murdered. Um, Now moving on to next week's news. Um, next week we will be next week. This is a PSA. You got to get eight hours of sleep. Okay. (laughs) So we will be watching Chasing Demons for next week's episode. That's season 19, episode 14. Please watch along with us or not. And we will see you next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Bye tour tickets. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Annalise Nelson. And to our mixing engineer, Ryo Baum. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. And to Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everyone at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dun-dun! dun dun